Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I hope you got to listen to that last episode with Lou D'Agostino. I'm still really excited that he is my first former professional football player that we've had on the show, and now I want to get more former professional athletes onto the show because uh, that was that was a good a good interview. So jump back one episode and take a listen to that if you didn't get to share in it. Also, for those of you who have been sending me emails about the group coaching program, the Cool Things Project, uh, I'm still trying to get all the infrastructure together, but the idea is I want to put together a really affordable, because sometimes people just can't afford some of these programs who are out there. I know I couldn't, especially when I was starting out, and I wanted to have some sort of guidance and coaching and just some friends who I could talk about entrepreneurship with and solopreneurship with and all the BS that can go with it sometimes. I just want to put together a casual group and uh, you know I'm looking for a few more people to bring that number up so that we can have the right number to get it started. Just send me an email at Tom, T-H-O-M at TomSinger.com and as soon as I have the infrastructure ready and the right number of people, I'll send you all the information, let you know what it's going to cost and if you want to play in the pool, jump in. So today we have a great interview. We have one of the founders, one of the co-founders of Book in a Box, and that is Zach Obrant. And I'm going to let Zach tell you a little bit more about himself and what he does and about who his business partner is because he's kind of famous. And uh, we're going to have a great chat and hopefully inspire you a little bit more about jumping in and doing you know, your own thing and maybe about writing a book. So Zach Obrant, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you. Excited to be here. So Zach, I, you know, I, I don't like to give really long introductions. I like people to sort of give give their own story. So why don't you tell everybody sort of about you and about your company? Sure. So so basically, I'll start with the company and then, and then we can talk about the kind of journey to get here. Basically, uh, I run a company called Book in a Box. What we do is we help people with really great ideas go from idea to finished published book. So uh, the kind of problem that we saw was that in a lot of industries, the people writing books were the ones who uh, had time to sit and write a book or maybe had the skills of how to write really eloquently and not the people who had the best ideas. So you'd see those people being too busy, usually running their businesses, uh, to be to be the actual authors. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to solve the problem that it takes too long to sit down and do all the writing. Uh, but we didn't want to have a solution like ghostwriting where someone else really takes over the writing process and just stamps your name on it. So Basically, what we have is a process of structuring a book together, talking through the ideas, transcribing that and working from that transcription uh, that leads to us being able to come out with books in the actual expert's voice with their words and their ideas, but in only about 15 hours of their time. And this is a relatively new company. Yeah, yeah. We just started it last August. So when you say we, why don't you share with everybody who the we is in We Started It Last August? Yeah, so my business partner is Tucker Max. He's written three, or I guess maybe four now, New York Times number one bestsellers, uh, has has been kind of in the publishing industry for a long time. And so he was a big motivation for why this was the industry that we decided to tackle because it was obvious to him and and then very quickly obvious to me how much was wrong with it and how much needed to be improved. So Tucker has kind of a colorful a colorful past, but I've never met him, although he's lived in Austin, Texas for a long time, where, where I live and where you are now a new resident. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that he sort of has sort of a public persona of who is Tucker Max. And then from what I understand from the people I know who know him personally, 
he's kind of just a down-to-earth, nice guy with a, a new wife and a new baby. And so what's it like working with Tucker? Yeah, it's great. I mean, he's, I think, arguably, I'm, I've talked to a lot of people in publishing. I don't know anyone who's seen it from as many sides and as deeply as he has. So uh, it's really good just from a pure connections and knowledge perspective as, as a big benefit. But more than that, we just, we just work really well together. I mean, definitely he is a, a nice down to earth guy, but he also has a uh, sharp edge as you would expect. And I love that personally. Like I love uh, just like diving into problems, finding solutions, not beating around the bush. And so I would have trouble working with someone who wasn't wasn't that direct and honest. So how did you end up working with Tucker? So we, I guess we'd emailed back and forth a bit over the years. Uh, when I was in school, I think he wrote a, uh, an article about a topic that I had to write an essay about. So we talked and I needed a little bit of advice on, on where to do some research. And we'd emailed back and forth a bit over the years after that. Um, and then sometime, I guess around two years ago, uh, he was working on a project that I thought seemed kind of interesting. And, and I was kind of running a small business on my own, like no employees, just just uh, kind of solopreneur kind of thing. And so I thought oh, I could squeeze in a little bit of time on the side to, to try and help him out with this. So I got in touch with him, started working for him a little bit part-time on the side, just helping out with what he was working on. And the way things shook out, it just ended up that what he was working on, we, they decided to wrap up. What I was working on, I decided to wrap up. And so we both had kind of an opening to say, what, what, do, we, what do we want to tackle and, and what does that look like and kind of build that from the ground up. So, you know, this interview isn't really about Tucker, but I just wanted to kind of share that that's who your business partner was. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. What sort of led you into being an entrepreneur? You went to college and, and then what? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think I, I'm similar to a lot of people who are probably listening and that it's run in my blood kind of forever. Um, so, so when I think back, like, I don't think there was really ever a point when a, when a decision was even really made. Uh, it was kind of just what I, what I always assumed. So when I was really young, like 12 years old, I was shipping Lacoste shirts in from China to, to resell them. And when I was 19, I ended up starting a high school for some reason, which is a, kind of a whole other story. Uh, and then when I graduated college, kind of just decided I want to take some time to jump into as many projects and kind of short-term business opportunities as possible, mostly thinking of it like a learning experience. Like if I can get the real world MBA and just experiment with a whole bunch of things, I'll probably be in a, in a pretty good spot and find the right thing eventually. So right out of college, I started a whole variety of things that some seem bizarre, some kind of make sense. So I, was, I started a mold removal company. Uh, <laughs> I was doing something called Landline Assassin, where I was helping people get rid of their home phones without losing the phone number. I was helping with this charity project that was kind of entrepreneurial that I really liked, uh, doing a little bit of speaking. So really just bouncing around, trying to get a feel for a whole bunch of different skills and industries, and then kind of settled on this as something that was a big project that I wanted to take more seriously and, and tackle in the long term. So as I did a little bit of research on you, I mean, that's your, your, your resume definitely shows that you've bounced around, started a lot of things, tried a lot of things. And then if you look back to when you were in college, you spent a year and a half as a private banking strategy intern. That really doesn't fit in. That's not <laughs> really, that doesn't really fit into anything that you've done before or since. What, what were you doing working for Bank of Montreal? Yeah, it's interesting. So I, when I went to college, I actually, uh, the degree I was getting was two years of undergrad and then a degree where you jump right into doing your MBA in your junior year. So the goal was, oh, let me get out of school and, and be an investment banker as quickly as possible because I was young and didn't really know what that <laughs> Cause was. Because that's and, what we all want to do. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, It's what we all want to do when we don't know what it is. Because it sounds like they make a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. So uh, basically those, that, those two summers that I worked at that bank, um, they were really good for helping me realize that that was very far from what I wanted. So, well, and, and, and as also, the interesting part was you worked in 
that banking system in April 2009, arguably the bottom of the entire world of history bank of banking. So it, so it must it mustn't have been great. It wasn't so bad because first of all, in Canada, that there were there were effects, but not nearly as strong as in the U.S. Like real estate kind of stayed stable, and so everything supported itself from there. Um, and then and the other piece of it is I was working in private banking, which was like no investment side, just like managing high net worth clients. Gotcha. So uh, I saw a little bit of that. It wasn't as as dramatic as it might have been if I was doing investment banking in New York or something <laughs> along those lines. Yeah, I looked at uh, I looked at the time of that and I thought, what a great time to be an intern. We've just that, fired everybody. Welcome, Zach. Yeah, but but it really was great. Honestly, less about what the I, what I found was I went back to the bank that second year and I was supposed to be like kind of looking up to the people that I was working with. And my first reaction was to kind of feel sorry for them. Like they were all in the same cubicles, <laughs> working on the same projects, moving so slowly. I mean, I'd, I'd get my work for the week and finish it on Monday and then look at Wikipedia for four days. And by the end of that second summer, I knew like I wanted nothing to do with, with working in an institution that big. Uh, and I'd rather do something where I could, I had a motivation to work hard and, and channel, <laughs> channel my intelligence into something worthwhile. So what's been exciting about, about Book in a Box? So you've been doing this for about 15 months, and, and I'll give you a little background. I actually have published 11 books, and I actually own part of New awesome. Year Publishing, which is the publishing company that does my books. But then we also help CEOs create books that are marketing tools for their company. And mm-hmm. we've had a lot of success in helping people get that book done. So I imagine that... Yeah, there's profit to be made in it, but there also has to be some huge uh, enjoyment in being able to help people reach that dream of publishing their book. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that was actually when we first started, I guess, this business and a few others, our goal, Tucker and I both decided, like, there's a lot wrong in publishing. Let's let's test out a whole bunch of small things and let's take on a client or two each, kind of get a feel for whether they're things that are fun, whether they're filling, whether it scales well. Uh, whether we like the type of people we're working with and and decide from there rather than just blanketly diving into one thing. And so uh, over the course of last summer, basically, we did everything from interior layout design for books to marketing for books to uh, author platform building. We were really just trying to get a feel for for all those options. And so what I found the big thing is that if you do one slice of that of that book creation process, there's two negatives, I guess. One is that you really feel like, okay, I just provided a service to the author and that was it. I had one client and they're happy and I'm done. Um, and second of all, in a lot of cases, they would screw up the rest of it, right? So we can do a great job on design, but if the book sucks, it doesn't help. And, and we feel like we weren't even contributing to anything positive because all we did was design a bad book better or market a bad book better. Um, and so, so honestly, the big powerful thing about Book in a Box, what, what sucked me in and made me say this is a no-brainer to, to kind of be the, the, the thing we focus on out of all of these, is that it, it reversed both of those problems. So first of all, we, we really had that amazing feeling of ownership of, of going start to finish. So uh, when, I mean, when the first book that we did through Book in a Box came out versus any of the other publishing stuff we'd done, there was such a bigger feeling of pride of like, this wouldn't exist if we hadn't done it. And not only was I just serving the author, I now serve, I was serving all those readers because they wouldn't have had the opportunity to read this otherwise. Um, and then secondly, avoiding that, those screw ups, right? The fact that we could say, we're going to charge a bit more money, but we're going to own everything start to finish. So we're not even going to give you the ability to, to screw up design or screw up uh, structure or any of that. We're going to take care of all of it. So yeah, definitely. I mean, every book that comes out with Book in a Box, I feel kind of personally proud, whereas that wasn't really the case with with other little individual slices we were doing. So, you know, for several years, you've been, you know, carving your own path, if you will. What is it that you absolutely love about being an entrepreneur? 
Hmm, I don't know. I think it, it changes often. So if you asked me that question two years ago, I would have talked about freedom for hours and, <laughs> and been <laughs> obsessed with that. And I think um, that's one piece, and maybe it's something I take for granted a little bit now, is that the, the real, that, that connection, and it's kind of the opposite of what I was saying about the bank, is that connection between if I work hard, it's because I want to work hard and I'm achieving more for it, not just to tick a box or anything like that. And so the direct connection between effort and and results really does a lot for me to make me feel like my days are, are purposeful. Uh, the, other, the other piece is, I, that I'm appreciating more now is the ability to just choose who you surround yourself with. So as we're hiring employees, the fact that I get to select the team of people to work with every single day and to, to spend time solving problems with and to collaborate with is something that I, I hadn't really appreciated it until recently, but it's so amazing now to see totally. a group of people that's like, we put this group together and now I get the, the pleasure of working with them every day. Well, and you know, the old Jim Rohn quote, which is a little bit overstated on podcasts <laughs> that I listen to is you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, right. it's, a li- it's a little cliche and a little overstated, but I'll tell you, there's few quotes that I think are more true. And when yeah. you get to actually choose, hey, these are going to be my coworkers, you can actually think about, are these people going to raise me up? Or are these people going to drag me down? So I think there's something to be said for being able to make those judgments. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. I was, I was just giving a talk at, at Fort Hood, the Army base, and one of the I, – I don't know what rank in the military he was, but he was talking about that he's so envious of entrepreneurs because if someone's really not pulling their weight, you have the ability to fire them and, and you have the ability <laughs> to choose who's coming in the door at the beginning and, and craft a team. And that the skills they have to develop are similar from a leadership perspective, but they have to work with whatever they're given. And so it really made me appreciate the fact that I've been able to be so selective to end up with such an amazing team. So what's the hardest part of working with, with a partner, especially a partner who might have you know, a moderate level of fame that you may or may not have? What, what, what is the good and the bad of that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I'm, I, I don't know whether there's actually bad. It's more my, uh, my own problem. So Historically, like I've always avoided having business partners because I may like see a problem and lock myself in a room till I find a solution kind of type. Uh, that that tends to be how I work, and so when I have partners, I tend to isolate myself, and it generally it used to not work out well. Um, in in this case, we've managed to find a pretty clear division between things that avoids that being a problem, and I'm I'm working on kind of relying on other people <laughs> as opposed to uh, trying to solve every problem on my own, but. <laughs> But honestly, what I see is the biggest positive, and it, it's something that seems kind of small, but there's a lot of decisions where the answer is obvious, but when you're by yourself, the emotions of doing it can be a little bit challenging. So especially, I mean, I can think of a few times where we had to make a, a big decision or um, early in the company when we took on clients that we should have and we had to kind of cut them off, that I knew it was the right call to make. But I, I could convince myself that it wouldn't be. And especially, I mean, same thing with, uh, we, we hired a salesperson that, that didn't end up working out very well. And it was obviously the right choice that we had to let him go. But I know if I didn't have a partner, I would have told myself, I know that's the right thing to do. But mm, like maybe he, I, he needs another chance and maybe I, I end up giving him a bit more time. And it likely wouldn't have ended up happening. And, and vice versa with, with Tucker making decisions too. So I think having just the sounding board to say, all right, let's talk through this and know that this is the right decision. And now there's automatically the accountability to make sure it happens has been one of the things I expected least as a positive, but has ended up being really huge for me. (laughs) Well, my business partner for New Year Publishing, he and I, we used to have a weekly meeting. 
And we're trying to get back to that because it was one of those things that he has certain things he runs in the publishing company. And most of my life goes to be focused very heavily on my speaking training and and professional master of ceremonies business. And it bleeds Mm -hmm. over into this podcast. And so that's my world. But what we found is even when he's doing stuff that's his world or I'm doing stuff with my world, it can get lonely when you're sort of a a solopreneur. And so when we have regular meetings and we share about the business that we own together and about businesses that we have separately, but we sort of have that, that sense sounding board, he and I have very different strengths, and, and we've been friends since the first day of college in 1984. And so we know each other very, very well, but we also know what the other person needs. And mm-hmm. so what I've found is is that you know having a business partner makes being an entrepreneur a lot less lonely if you have the right person. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case. And, and the other thing I've heard people do to kind of solve that problem if they don't have a partner is just really focusing on building a good, like a mastermind group or some kind of group of people who are I mean, I'm in, I'm in EO, uh, which we have forums. That's kind of a similar idea. That's like get a group of people together who don't necessarily, aren't necessarily intertwined with each other's ideas, but can provide a useful perspective and just give yourself some time to share and, and be there to, for other people who need to share as well. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of EO. I actually did their accelerator program a couple of years ago, cool. and I am a big fan of the way they do it with Forum. And anybody who listens to the show, I've done a couple of episodes, and another one is scheduled for a couple of weeks from now about the power of the mastermind group and, and why it is so important. And you know, people have a lot of misunderstandings of what it means, but I think the way EO does it and the way my mastermind group does it, I think are you know so beneficial that that it's something that we have to give credence to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hey, so what's something you don't love about being an entrepreneur? Are there ever those days you wake up and think, you know, I could have just tra- transferred straight into the Bank of Montreal and just <laughs> stayed there forever? So I, I don't know if Bank of Montreal would ever, would ever lure me in that much. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, I mean, if I think about the, like, if I didn't want to be emotionally invested in what I was doing and I wanted things to be easier, I, I really love coding and it has nothing to do with any of the work I do. Um, so like I could imagine a world where if I was a little bit less motivated to make an impact that I would be, I'd be inclined to say, well, let me just take a high paying coding job and be able to turn off at 5 PM and go home. Um, and I'd say, I mean, it's an easy trade-off for me, but if I had to weigh the trade-off, the positive and negative is that I'm doing something that's a lot more important to me. And so the positive of that is that I get, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to do something that you really care about and it gets you excited. The downside is that, uh, I have trouble turning it off. So, <laughs> so as an entrepreneur, I feel like there's there's very little separation between work and the rest of my life. And because there's that direct relation between what I'm doing and the results I'm getting, uh, it can often be hard to make the decision to choose to do other things beyond working. So nope, I get that's, it. That, that's a trade-off I'm happy making right now, but I can definitely see that it would be easy to make another decision. Nope, I totally get it. That's the one thing for me is that I've been doing this full-time for six and a half years, and mm-hmm. I love what I do. I've, I have great clients. I speak all over the country, occasionally outside of the country, and I've worked with amazing industries and amazing people. But at the end of the day, every day I wake up and that rock is at the bottom of the hill, and I spend yeah. all of my energy pushing the rock to the top. And then guess what? I wake up the next morning and the rock's at the bottom. And mm-hmm. right now, you know, I love it, but I totally, you know, see why a lot of people don't want the life of an entrepreneur because that rock keeps coming back down and meeting you at the front door every single morning. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I have trouble with this, but I really do think that there's a, there is a middle ground for people who want it. Like I, I have trouble condemning entrepreneurship as a whole, that it's inevitably like that. I think 
the nature of people who become entrepreneurs is that they tend to want to keep pushing. And so it becomes like that. But I do know people whose goal was just to have a nice small business that runs relatively simply on somewhat autopilot. And I think, I think that there really is, if you're, if you're, if your goal is to have more work-life balance, I think there is a way of constructing that. It just requires a personality type that's okay with it. Yeah, I agree. Hey, Zach, I've got some more questions for you, but first, I got to thank my sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Zach. Hey, if you want to start your own podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for my listeners. So, you know, what advice do you have, Zach, for somebody who wants to go start their own thing? Maybe they're working for somebody else. Maybe they're at a bank and they're thinking, you know, I have this drive inside of me. What do you tell them? I'm only speaking out of experience of of how I tended to feel growing up was I I tended to make it a bigger deal than it was. So I would would kind of say, oh, I need to come up with this perfect idea or I need to wait until I'm out of school for the semester or I need to not have a job. And I I'd kind of, at the time, I didn't think of it as excuses. But looking back now, I think I, I built it up so that it was big enough that I wouldn't tackle it. And so I think, I think the beauty of a lot of the entrepreneurship advice I've seen recently is, is doing the opposite of that, right? It's saying, how, how small and simple can you make this? And how much can you turn it into just a series of action steps? And then find a time to do that. You don't need to quit your job before or anything like that. Um, it's mostly about just saying, like, what is business? Business is creating some product or service and then finding people to pay you for it. Um, and generally, there is a relatively simple way of at least getting that ball rolling. And so my, my advice would be, honestly, just to not make too much of it and dive in and and see see what that actually feels like. And the decision becomes a lot easier, whether it's worth leaving your job or taking it more seriously once you've got a taste of what that's actually like. So, Zach, I have a new section of the show called Pearls of Wisdom, and I ask three questions that I didn't prepare you for. So this is going to be kind of rapid fire and just really quick, give your answer. So the three pearls of wisdom from Zach Obrant. Number one, if people want to make a change from one industry or to another, what do you tell them? Mm, Spend time talking to people in the new industry. I find like trying to Trying to read books and prepare yourself in theory can be dangerous and you can kind of go down a rabbit hole. I would choose five people in that industry who, are, who you really think understand it and spend a little bit of time talking to them about what's important. So, Zach, you said in the intro that the way you kind of connected originally with Tucker Max was you were writing a paper and you emailed him. So if you were to reach out to somebody who was famous or, or pseudo-famous and reach out to them... How do you actually then cultivate a relationship if they respond? It really depends on the context. I think the, the big picture answer is provide value to them. The more detailed answers, that can really come in a lot of ways, right? So I think a lot of people's temptation is like, can I do something for them if you say that? Or can I send them articles or whatever? I think the truth is really understanding what they're looking for in their life. Sometimes value to them comes in the form of having someone to mentor. Sometimes it comes in the form of, uh, being able to introduce you to someone because they they feel like you'd be good for a specific job or anything like that. So I'd say mostly try and get in their head and understand what's important to them and frame all of the interaction around making that possible for them. Awesome. And the third pearl of wisdom is, Zach, where do you find inspiration? Hmm, that's a good one. Honestly, I, I don't know if I... I mostly find all my inspiration internally, to be honest. Like I don't really have a 
external source that that gets me pumped up or that I think about that gets me excited. Um, it's mostly just looking at at what I'm doing and where I want to be and putting my head down every day to focus on on doing what's necessary to get there. Cool. So, Zach, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing that you're doing right now in your business? The coolest thing we're doing? Hmm. Give me a little bit more context. What kind of what kind of things do you consider cool? So if someone was to say, what's new and exciting at Book in a Box, how would you answer that? Yeah, so, okay, so... So basically, the, the problem that we've run into a little bit, um, we keep thinking that we're going to run into marketing challenges, like, oh, how, how are we going to find more authors? That hasn't really come yet. Um, the, ch- the, the truth is, like, we've been doing really good work, and we get a lot of word-of-mouth referrals. And so the big challenge has been, how do we keep quality just as high as it would be when we were doing two months a month, uh, two books a month, when we're doing 15 or 20 or 25 or 30? And so... Um, Basically, what we've started implementing now is we have a guy who's transitioning into full-time as the process manager. And basically what he does is tries to set up all of these integrations and automations and things to make everyone else's job easier. And so he's been on a kind of a kick recently that's been really cool to watch. Uh, there's, there's software called Zapier that, that I don't know if you know what it is. It's like if this but not. Basically, the idea is you can set one event to trigger another event. And so he's set up all these crazy automations where... Uh, when the editor finishes recording an interview, it automatically pulls it into Dropbox and automatically uploads it and someone transcribes it and they send it back and all this happens without without anyone on our team touching it or even knowing that it's happening. And so seeing our process going from very manual to somewhat automated to now having these magical powers just <laughs> doing things without anyone touching them uh, is the thing that's got me most excited and it's the newest kind of innovations in our process. That's cool. And what is it called again? What's the software the, called? The software is called Zapier. And basically they have like probably tens of or maybe hundreds of thousands of different interactions between two things. So you can say, if I get an email from John, then uh, text my mom and, and tell her that John emailed me. And wow. you can just set that up to happen automatically every time. And they've got all of like every, any two pieces of software you can think of they have interactions between them that they've got built out. Basically, they've they've worked with the APIs of the software to do the most common things and then let you do it in a really easy way. Uh, so there's there's a lot to play with there. And I knew about it and for some reason didn't really appreciate how powerful it could be because if you try to do it in things that you're not repeating super often, then it doesn't end up being that useful. But as soon as I realized we could be applying it to the pieces of the process that we're doing nonstop all day, every day, the amount, we probably saved 100 hours between our whole company in the last month just from these few things we've done. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, that's a whole person. That's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, Zach, so I think we could talk about Zach Obrant and about Book in a Box for hours. However, I think the best entrepreneurs, I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I love to ask my guest, who's someone else besides you, besides Tucker, besides the people you work with? Who's someone else where you look at them and say, wow, look at what they're doing. They're, they're doing cool stuff. They're crushing it. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of someone who stands out. So someone, someone who I've seen a company come together really quickly recently that I think is awesome is uh, a friend of mine, Scott Britton. Uh, he started a company called Troops. And basically what they're doing is they're kind of reinventing the mobile CRM from the ground up. So kind of identified this problem that as outside salespeople kind of go out, go and interact with businesses, the problems that they're 
they're interacting with a CRM the way that you interact with something on, on the desktop computer, which is clicking in and, and clicking tabs and filling things out. And the biggest problem in outside sales is that people just don't do it. So the CRMs get behind. Like like all CRM stuff, That's it's the big challenge is making sure salespeople stick with it. Mm-hmm. So what they realized is that the way that people actually do interact with their phones is through texting or through normal messaging. Uh, and so they're they're kind of rebuilding a CRM from the ground up focused on solving that problem and allowing people to interact with their phones the way that they naturally do um, and and already are, are seeing really great results and, and have interested customers on board and have raised money and are doing a really great job. That's great. Hey, the other thing I love to ask my guests is what do you do to give back? Because in addition to being great observers, I think entrepreneurs want to leave their mark on the on society as a whole. Yeah. So what do you do? So so the, the my favorite thing, uh, and I actually was, was just away from Austin for a while, so I now need to go, go get back in the routine. But um, I, I really like to give back in a way that's not focused on kind of what I do do in my in my job and not focused on like using specific skills I have I just like to like get hands on and, and really be on at the ground level helping people. So something that I do all the time there's a there's a soup kitchen on East Caesar Chavez that does uh, lunches free lunches for homeless people uh, and I love to get there get there early in the morning and just work with a team of ten or fifteen people to put together hundreds of lunches and kind of get into a routine and and it's a little bit. Uh, kind of soothing to, to just be working manually. And then the best part is at noon, everyone starts pouring in and, and enjoying their free lunch. And it's really amazing to see all those people, kind of the direct impact of the work you're doing. Um, so so that, that's been like the main thing. I also just signed up as a volunteer at Austin Pets Alive. Yep, um, but I, I And there's there's one volunteer role there that I think is really cool. Uh, a lot of the dog, what they found is that the dogs who, who they have there, if they have a video showing the dog, they're much more likely to get adopted. And so I haven't started doing this yet but I, I want to start going and taking the dogs out of their cages, playing with them and recording it, and then uploading the videos so that all the dogs on their site have a video of how fun and playful they are. That is so awesome. I've never thought about that, that if you, yeah. you know, if you have a video, it's like being a professional speaker. If you don't have a video, nobody can hire you. I've never thought about being a homeless dog. Yeah, you, need to ha- dog you need a reel. <laughs> you, need, you need a sizzle reel if you're, if you're, a, if you're an adoptable dog. Yeah, they do. So, Zach, I think that's fantastic. And I want to thank you for sharing your time and your expertise and being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I had fun talking to you. Well, and welcome to Austin. I know you've lived here less than a year, and you know I've lived here 25 years. So I hope that you can look back in a quarter century and, and have had as many great experiences in this city as I've had. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the next 25 years. That's right. Well, and for everybody who listened, thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode. We try to come at you, you know, every couple of days with an interview with somebody cool like Zach. We're going to be back in a couple more days with somebody else. So be sure to come back and tune in. And if you get a chance, jump on over to iTunes and leave a review because nothing makes me happier than new reviews for the show on iTunes. Well, that's not true. There's lots of things that make me happier, but that one does make me pretty happy. So go ahead, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.